Welcome back, everyone, to Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition. Wow, this was yet another weird one in the <laughs> land of Isaiah. I uh, yeah, we had again this saying to know someone biblically. All right, which mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of like see where that came from. And somebody in our chat talked about the fact that it was from Adam and Eve, and it was. That's that's apparently where it came from. Hmm. That hmm. okay. In Genesis 4.1, it said, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. So basically saying no to know someone like Adam and Eve knew each other. That's the biblical sense of So it's like our first euphemism. Exactly. So that's Mm -hmm. like it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's like it's that's what she's basically saying in the biblical sense is like saying that's what she said, or like if you know what I mean, right after you say it. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. I like it. That's it. That's basically where we wow. came from wow. yeah well what happens in the crucible it's like daniel day lewis has that <laughs> oh, sorry. line really i forget the character name. Name. john proctor is the name john proctor uh-huh. um it's what abigail abigail right? is his mistress is the, and elizabeth yes. is his wife yeah exactly well he has a line where he comes clean where he's like her. i have known yeah. her uh, yeah. yes okay. i have known That's... her yeah oh i remember <laughs> Yeah, um, Mm -hmm. back in the day when I did that show, I was a freshman in high school and I was like the only freshman to get a part in the the Crucible. And the guy who played John Proctor went on to become a pretty big... Daniel Day-Lewis? No, (laughs) but he is on Broadway. Like he's been in multiple Broadway productions. So he's like a big deal. Yeah, he was great. Sean Montgomery, shout out. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. Good for him. All right. Uh, I looked up something else. I don't know if should I just like do it? Should I just go for it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What you got? So Isaiah is hard to read. <laughs> and I I looked up some stuff regarding that. It, many mm. things actually. Like I looked up the freaking cliff notes for Isaiah because I felt like I needed it. Wow. Um the Wikipedia, but this thing called BibleStudyMagazine.com, because apparently <laughs> that's a thing. Wow. I uh, yeah, it, it was a good kind of distillation of what we are looking at here. So apparently, according to this guy, Christopher R. Smith, the book isn't arranged sequentially. It's made up of eight major sections that oscillate back and forth between two distinct time periods. Whoa. Interesting. We did cover that a little bit. But not I did talk about that. That's what this guy says. He didn't talk about the oscillating, but I did did mention that a little bit a few bonuses okay, ago. Well, I I think. Yeah, that there was like proto Isaiah and Deutero Isaiah yes. and Trito yes. Isaiah. Yes. But according to that breakdown, we've still been in proto Isaiah the whole time. So yeah. this is, so, seems a little bit different from that, doesn't it? Yeah, a, li- a little bit. It just says the first chronological period is in the Assyrian crisis in Judah under the reigns of Ahaz and Hezekiah. Um, the expanding Assyrian empire is encroaching on the land of Israel. That's kind of what we got into today. Ahaz attempts mm. to appease the Assyrians and compromises the nation's devotion to God. His son Hezekiah then a- attempts to be faithful to God and resists the Assyrians as he faces the threat of annihilation. So that's the first period. 
The second period comes on the return of God's people from Babylonian exile about 150 years later, which, in my opinion, Isaiah oh. would not be around for. But what do I know? <laughs> I don't. Opinion, I don't. Huh? I shouldn't have an opinion. Apparently, <laughs> Judah escaped the Assyrians, but was later conquered by the Babylonians. During the second period, Babylon is facing a threat from another rising power: the Medes and the Persians. Okay, and then. Yeah, it says the fact that one book speaks to two periods so far apart in time naturally raises the question whether more than one person wrote it. Yes. Biblical scholars of all theological persuasions have various opinions on the question. Some believe that the book had just one author, Isaiah, and later an editor that adapted some of his material for later contexts. Others hold that Isaiah wrote chapters 1 to 39, which is what we're still in currently, while an anonymous later prophet or poet wrote chapters 40 to 66 in a style like Isaiah's. And still others argue that there were actually three contributors, Isaiah, a later author who wrote chapters 40 to 55 toward the ends of the exile, and another who wrote chapters 56 to 66. So that's the like Deutero-Isaiah and Trito-Isaiah. I guess so. That that breakdown, I think. Yeah, and definitely. I mean... I don't, I feel like I don't quite want to get in all to it yeah. or get into it all because I don't want spoilers for us. Mm. But yeah, just this like mm-hmm. historical collection of these time periods and where perhaps the narrative is going to shift a little bit, or at least it's maybe not going to be quite what we're going through currently. Right. But a lot of people are saying, yeah, like it's a tough book to read. And one <laughs> guy was like, I've done my dissertation on this or, you know, because I felt like I had to really delve into it in order to figure out what the heck was going on <laughs> because it was so difficult. And he had a bunch of charts up and was like, you're going to have to listen to my sermons to know what these charts mean. And I'm like, not going to do that. So (laughs) anyways, (laughs) exactly. So just so everyone knows, we are not the only ones going through this challenging time of trying to figure out what the heck Isaiah is Mm. about. It sounds Mm -hmm. like pretty much everyone Mm. does do that and Isaiah was on something and that was it and then maybe once we get into Deutero Isaiah what did you say? Deutero Deutero Trido Deutero 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 Isaiah maybe it'll change a little bit but who the heck knows we're just gonna have to wait till we get there wow Okay. Uh, what did you look up, Dedeker? Oh, my <laughs> I have so much uh-huh. to tell, oh my so much okay. batshift stuff to tell you about menstruation and the Bible. Holy <laughs> poop. Um. Okay. So, God, I, f- I found just a wealth, okay, a wealth of information. So, firstly, you know, I found a couple of people's blogs specifically talking about this verse about you know all our righteousness uh-huh. tossing them away like a menstruous uh-huh. cloth or like menstrual rags. Um. And I just wanted to read this person is like this very Christian person is really trying to help you understand this metaphor. So there's a jewelry store. It's owned by someone who's near and dear to you. The owner loves you so much that he mortgages his whole estate. Yeah, I was like, you own the jewelry store. You've got to. Even though he owns the jewelry store, but he's still. (laughs) Okay. He wishes to make it a gift to you. Thanks. But you 
Because of your wish to earn the jewel, fill up a sack with soiled menstrual napkins and tampons, and you take that sack to the jeweler and offer it to him as payment for the nearly what? priceless jewel he wishes to give to you. I'm sorry, what? Did you do that? <laughs> no. Heavens no. Uh. Well, that's exactly what a person does when he tries to work his way into heaven. He tries to pay for his salvation with a sack Wait, of soiled menstrual napkins What are we talking about here? What's happening? <laughs> I don't know what you're telling me, actually. This, this person's trying to make the argument that like what Isaiah is referring to, mm-hmm. this is how they're interpreting is that it's like when someone, instead of accepting Christ as their salvation, thinks that they can get into heaven via good works. Which this is a lo- yeah. this is a, there's a long history of this of kind of evangelical Protestant Christians throwing Catholics under the bus essentially because that's a much more historically part of the Catholic dogma is that like doing good actions and good mm-hmm. works is part of how we get into heaven or get salvation. Okay. So this person's pulled in the metaphor and is like laid out in really graphic detail so that you understand exactly <laughs> that was what they mean here yeah that was weird as hell is all i'm gonna say oh it's gonna get weirder um oh, so okay. but but i'm gonna get away from this particular verse because like we get it like ultimately like the translations we read it's like yeah just throwing it away like it's garbage Got like it's it. an unclean thing but i want to get away from this particular verse because as we saw in the translations it's like yeah okay makes sense just mm-hmm. tossed away mm-hmm. like garbage like something you don't want anymore you know like sure we get it. But I, I was just so curious about menstruation in the Bible. <laughs> so and curious. I know, of course, we've encountered all the Levitical laws about how long a woman is unclean, you know, after she's uh-huh. had her period and all these things. Um, And I actually found a paper that came out of, I'm going to say, some kind of Bulgarian university, okay. just judging by the name of this university, but don't quote okay. me on that. A, a whole paper, like essentially a whole dissertation paper that someone wrote about um, menstrual rituals in ancient Israel. Um, And they're mostly pointing to the fact that unfortunately we don't have a ton of direct data or information because (laughs) of the fact that the Bible was written by men. And so when it comes to Levitical law, they really only care about how it affects them. And the paper is making this argument that we don't have a lot of evidence about the actual experiences of women because the Bible's written by men. And a lot of the Levitical law is written from a male perspective right. of just how does it influence yeah. me as a man? So if a woman is menstruating and she's ritually unclean, that means I can't touch her. I can't have sex with her. I can't sit on the same thing that she sat Goodness. on. And it doesn't at all go into any instructions of like how a woman necessarily purifies herself or what she's supposed to do during that time. You know, if she can't sit on Basically, anything. Basically, it's all about or men. Like cook anything. Is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're saying that we can look at other cultures from that era, you know, like the Sumerians and the Hittites and stuff like that, and kind Mm -hmm. of make some inferences based on Mm -hmm. the information they have, you know. So I think from like Babylonian culture, there's some evidence of them saying that, you know, like menstruating women could bake bread, for instance. What? Why not? (laughs) Because you're going to get your menstrual (laughs) demons all up in the bread, obviously, Emily. Cool. (laughs) You know, um, or we can maybe make the inference that like a lot of cultures, maybe you had to go live in a menstrual tent for a little while or just kind of go away from everybody. Um, But yeah, there's, it's hard to guess, you know, was there some kind of ritual bathing Mm. or laundering that was a part of this? But then we're in the desert, there's not a lot of water, so that doesn't make a ton of sense. (laughs) Maybe that is why we're just kind of throwing our menstrual rags away (laughs) into the garbage Uh, instead of washing them. And okay, and then from there, I went to another rabbit hole talking about rituals around menstruation in the modern day Orthodox 
Jewish community, which there's a lot of. Uh, so I'm not going to go into specifically everything. But what is interesting is I realized that, okay, if we lay out in Levitical law that, yeah, she's unclean for X number of days and X number of days after her menstruation is stopped, that means it's very, very, very important to know exactly mm. when menstruation has stopped. And for those of you who don't menstruate out there, Sometimes that's a little bit up in the air. Would would you say, Emily? Yeah, definitely. Like it's yeah. Even when you're on the pill, which I am, it's still up in the air. It's like, oh, that one was a little bit longer. Oh, that one was a little bit shorter. Or yeah, sometimes my periods yeah, also like, like oh, that they stop and they kind of like go underground for a day and then like <laughs> show up again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is fascinating. Is I found this whole section in the Wikipedia around nida, and nida is the term for essentially when you're menstruating, like going through menstrual ritual as an Orthodox Jewish woman, that the way that you determine whether or not menstruation has stopped is you do this ritual where you take a shower around sunset and then you have a special cloth that you wrap around your finger. Swirly swirl up in there. Do a little swirly whirly up in there. Uh Yeah. Uh A little swirl (laughs) to inspect and, you know, based on whether or not it's like, you know, there's any blood or any kind of discharge that is not white or clear on the cloth determines huh. whether your period is still going or not. Now, it doesn't end there. <laughs> However, uh, there's other rituals that involve more of just like literally <laughs> packing some cloth up in there and you have to leave it anywhere from 18 huh. minutes to an hour to determine whether or not menstruation has actually ended. And now this is wild. Another tradition involves the wearing of white underwear or the use of white bedding during this period. Um, And conversely, the rest of the time when not trying to count out the seven clean days afterwards, some women who suffer from spotting deliberately use colored underwear and colored toilet paper since it is only when blood is seen on white material that it has any legal status in Jewish law. When not during their seven clean days, all women are advised to wear colored undergarments. For this reason... It is furthermore strongly recommended that women make an effort to refrain from looking at the toilet paper after wiping to avoid possible resultant questions. So as long as you don't see it. Uh As long as it's not on white material and we didn't see it, then no legal status of whether or not it was still going on or not. I have even more for you. Oh my gosh. So just, just one more step deeper. Then I ended up on a site full of essays about specifically Mary. So I'm pretty sure this is a Catholic university. Okay. university oh, Dayton. yeah, it absolutely and, Yeah, probably. <laughs> this long, long paper written about whether or not Mary menstruated. What? The answer is absolutely well, she did. This paper would disagree with you. Why? Because she's a virgin? That's ridiculous. Oh, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's a whole thing. It's like like they kind of make this argument of like, well, in the Bible, clearly they lay out that like menstruation both is impure and is the result of impurity, is the result of original sin. And in Catholic dogma, we recognize that Mary was without sin. She was perfect her whole time. She, She maintained her virginity before, during and after the birth of Jesus. And not just spiritually, biologically, we're going to like put the fine point on it that her hymen was intact because that's really important to our faith. And so we're also going to make the argument there's no way she could have menstruated. There's also no way she could have even bled when she was giving birth because she stayed pure. Maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. This is the... (laughs) Yeah, that's the most ridiculous... Yeah, gosh. Okay, people... People, 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 
people, people, people need to find something better to occupy mm-hmm. their time thinking about. Because if this is all you got, you are, you're doing something very wrong with the direction mm-hmm. you've taken in your life at this Catholic mm-hmm. Research Institute. Like, where, this, this is, is not... Where- this is where I knew this paper was going to go off the rails. This is like, okay. this is just in the first paragraph is that this person who I'm assuming is a man, there's no name attached to this, but I can only assume it's a man writing this, right. um, where he says, keeping these objections in mind, it is a question that I will still attempt to analyze here with the deepest respect for both Mary oh, and I, women in general. Shut it. Just, just, <laughs> so, oh, just and I just knew I was like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Uh, it's long. It, and I read, I mean, I skimmed the whole thing for you. Is this literally a dissertation? It could be. Or is this just an essay? It very well could be. Gosh. Um, is this the kind of stuff we have to look forward to when we go to Harvard Divinity School I certainly or, or wherever we not. end up going? Ooh, maybe. I don't think Harvard Divinity is specifically Catholic, but but maybe. Here's even this. They, they kind of close out with a bunch of footnotes and one of them about Basically, kind of this idea of like, well, but if she wasn't menstruating, if she never menstruated, how could she be fertile? She has to be fertile. She has to have ovulated because like that's how Christ got his humanity. And so maybe we can make the argument that maybe um, like she she there's, you know, she never menstruated. So she was, you know, young, like really young. Or maybe we can make the argument that, like, in her perfectness, she's been fertile her entire existence up to that point. And ultimately, it came to the conclusion of, like, oh, this is all a mystery, though. So so let's just leave it there. And, yeah. It's yes, just like, it's we just, should have left it there in the wild. first place. Like, why did we... Wild the places wow. that, that we've gone to at this point. Oh, my gosh. Why did we ever stop leaving it there know. is my question. Okay. I'm going to try to be very fast with my thing then, because that took a very sorry. long time. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> it went so, so deep. It, you did. So deep. Wow. Uh, yes. We should have just left it there <laughs> and not explored that at all. I mean, yeah. they should have not explored yes. that. I'm glad you explored that, because mm. now we all know who not to invite to yeah. our <laughs> Bible study party is whoever the author Toads. of this paper was. And whatever professors allowed this to happen, I don't know. Anyway, so I wanted to look up this instrument of gath that we talked about, um, because what's what's that about? And the first thing I found that was kind of interesting is that gath is significant. Significant how? And I had entirely forgotten about this, but gath is where Goliath is from. Oh, yeah. And remember, David fought Goliath. So David, who wrote this psalm, wrote it to be played on an instrument from Gath. And so theories abound about this. Either people theorizing that this means that because David was like playing heathen instruments, pagan instruments that he'd kind of backslid or whatever, and that's like part of his whole thing. But the other view I found was just that, well, yeah, he was in that part of the world. And so he learned to play this instrument. Sure. And thought it was cool. And so wrote it on this instrument. One person made the analogy of this being like the first time people brought electric guitars. What? Into the church. Cool. And for a lot of people, <laughs> right? Like uh, when you bring contemporary music drum into church or a drum kit. Yeah. And this person, I don't know where this is from, but in this essay, they found a quote from some internet blog complaining about instruments used in church. And the, the quote goes like this. 
Obviously, God does not want us listening to flute music. Flutes and other woodwinds are horrible <laughs> instruments. No, they're not. They entice us to sin with their wistful tunes. Clearly, Satan operates through the uh, flute. Same. Oh my God! Okay, so someone. That's okay, this has to be at least goodness five years ago. Goodness. Yeah. So anyway, the. They're kind of making the case of like maybe David was sort of being provocative and being edgy. Cool. Like be like playing electric guitar with your church song that you've written. I'm not sure. But then as for what the instrument actually is, the most likely theory is that it was some type of a plucked or struck string instrument like a zither. A zither? A zither. Zither, zither. Zither. Z-Z-I-T-H-E-R. Okay. Zither. Yeah. So a zither is, at its most basic, it's like a harp. Okay. But instead of a harp, where if you imagine a harp, there's like a frame where the strings are strung between one end and the other, and it's like open air where you're playing the strings. Okay. A zither is that same kind of layout of all the strings, but the whole thing is on like a wooden resonating box or i guess it doesn't have to be wood but some kind of resonating honestly any obscure instrument that we come across in the bible i'm just assuming that like jace you're going to explain what it is and then you're going to be like yeah i had to like write a composition for it i probably have one somewhere in the closet and i could whip it out and just like riff on it if i wanted to but why would i so i have only played on zithers a tiny bit and they're pretty cool and actually you have seen one played in some popular media, specifically in Dr. Funke's 100% Natural Good Time Family Band Solution. Really? Huh. The, the auto harp uh, that Lindsay plays in that, that is technically a zither. That's technically in the zither family. Auto zither. So if you think about an auto harp, right, it's like a box that has strings all across it tuned to different pitches. So that's what I mean. Like there's a resonant body with the strings strung on top of it, as opposed to a harp where it's like open air behind the strings and opposed to a guitar or a viol or something else where there's a resonant body, but also a separate neck that stretches off of it. It'd be like if you had a guitar with only the body part of the guitar with the strings across it, then it would be a zither. Okay. And I found out that zithers have dated back to like, 1600 BC or 1800 BC in like sort of Greece area. So not too far from here. So definitely could be there. Okay. Um, Also, Zither is a pretty uh, popular music in historic Chinese music too. It's a different different type of Zither, but the same principle. Well, in Japanese music, there's the Koto, which is almost kind of similar where, yeah, I think that might count as a a Zither. As part of that family. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I did find wow. this recording of someone playing an ancient Egyptian zither. This, to me, is like a hybrid between a lyre and a zither, but it kind of gives you a sense of maybe the sound we're talking about here. So, like, you you pluck the strings sometimes with a pick or maybe with your fingers. So, like this. Yeah, 
I could see David jamming on that. <laughs> yeah, David's super into this stuff. Really, really in his jam band years. Really going Love nuts. It. Uh, so that was the the instrument of Gath I looked up. The other thing I looked up was the song for the psalm. So Psalm 8, okay. you're like, yeah, there's definitely been songs about this. And what I discovered in looking it up is there are actually 10 billion songs written on this psalm. And I just wanted to play you, first of all, the one 10 that... 10 billion songs. The one that Dedeker and I have had stuck in our heads since that episode is this one. Here's a little excerpt sung by Sandy Patty, but this is the oh, one we grew up singing classic. in church. Okay, so that's the one. The, oh, the oh Lord, that's gonna oh be Lord, stuck in my head. I know, I know. For weeks, Jay, you like can't it's... cut it off like that. <laughs> it sounds like it should be in Jesus Christ Superstar type thing. Oh, that's good. It, like that's what it sounded like to me. The production value, at least, like it should be in Jesus Christ Superstar, some biblical thing like that, biblical play. Joseph, maybe. Yeah, I guess it's it does have that very bombastic <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, I could see totally. that. So there's a huge variety of songs all based on this, all similar. Here's another one from Shane and Shane. Okay, or oh, I would do some line dancing to that. Right. Here's another one <laughs> called "In All the Earth." In all the earth, the Lord, our Lord, how glorious is your name. It's got some sort of a like Irish God. line dancing. Yeah, kind exactly. Of Freaking whitest music jig. I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay, We're and not jig the hell out of that. Not all of it is white. Here's another example. Yes. That's from Richard Smallwood. Uh, or I mean, that was. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Here's another one. This is from a uh, from Rose Sirintip Han Pradit, a Thai singer. Excellent. I like excellent instead of majestic. <laughs> it's cool. It's a cool twist. And then my favorite of all of them was this one I found from the risers which is a christian children's youtube channel oh dear and just okay the intro first just let it wash the over intro you. is amazing i'm just gonna play you a little bit of this wow we're not doing it like this. <laughs> now, okay, so... God, we get it, kids. Jeez. Here's what's wild. You're like, okay, I get it. You're really driving home that this is Psalm chapter 8, verse number 1. That, what you just heard, is the chorus. It comes back oh, no. many times. They're oh. like, the best we could come up with for a chorus was to just say the name of the psalm oh, we're reading. No. It's wild. And then most of it, honestly, I, I'm like two and a half minutes into the song and they've said 
nothing but like, oh, 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 set your glory above the heavens. <laughs> Psalm chapter eight, verse number one. And then, oh, 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 oh. Oh, 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 really, like forever. And <laughs> oh, finally, no. we get to some actual other words here. And it just, let me just play a little bit for you here. How old are these children? This is all animated, by the way. These like cute kids with so guitars. So they could be thirty-five. Stuff. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, they're really going for this kind of. Uh, I just I don't even know what to say. This kind of are like, they using the subtonic all over the place? <laughs> kind of more speak singing. They're more kind of doing that kind of vibe. Got it. Anyway, that was a fun rabbit hole that I went down. I hope that our listeners end up with at least several of those stuck in your head. We got a couple rabbit holes that happened today. (laughs) And basically, it just continues to accentuate the fact that this book is bonkers. Uh The Bible is bonkers, but this book especially is. We have a lot to unpack here, and we hope that you continue unpacking it with us next time on Drunk Bible Study. We'll see you then.